This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Got another great guest, mobile home park owner, operator. He's got all kinds of tips and tactics on operations, joint ventures. Please help me in welcoming my guest, Ryan Groney. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ferd, for having me on. I appreciate it. Happy to discuss mobile home parks, both our favorite topics, it yeah. seems like. Yours is probably uh, law more than parks, but hey, here we are. We'll see. So Mine's more boring, perhaps, but uh, <laughs> I, I love I love operations as well. I wear, the, I wear the suit once in a while, but I like wearing cowboy boots and jeans just as much. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. <laughs> tell yeah. us a little bit more about your background. I know you a little bit, but for our, an audience, our audience will too, but in case they don't, tell mm-hmm. us kind of your background, how you got an MHP and what you're doing now. Uh, so background is uh, I went to school. I see your baseball bats in the background. I played baseball in college. I got one sitting right here as well uh, from my college playing days. Played played in college. Went to school for finance. Got out. Went to uh, work at a Fortune 500 company, kind of as an analyst. Um, did that for a number of years. Read Rich Dad Poor Dad in college. Kind of had that seed put in my head. Hey, I want to own a business. Corporate life is is going to get me some cash to invest, and then eventually I'm going to step away. Right? That's everybody's goal. That was my goal, um, you know, and then I, I woke up and it was, it was, it was four years later and, and I just was in a job I really didn't like. I had a boss that didn't really like me and uh, or maybe it was just me. I didn't like it. So therefore, it created that. Um, I looked at flipping mobile homes first, kind of like everybody gets into it, right? You know, it's a cheaper uh, way to get into the business or a cheaper way because you're buying a home for maybe three, four thousand dollars. You can put grand into it and sell it for eight to ten, right? On contract. Kind of like the Deals on Wheels, Lonnie Scruggs is the original um, in that. Looked at doing that, drove around a million parks in Cincinnati. Looked at doing a live-in flip in a uh, nicer community in Cincinnati where I'm from. Um, that didn't pan out. And then I kind of just started thinking, hey, who owns these things? Blah, blah, blah. Went to a Frank and Dave boot camp. Um, spent two years really looking for parks. I had a few under contract. Didn't pull the trigger. Bought one at the end of 2018. Um, that was a 75 space park and I've owned no other form of real estate. I've not, I don't even own a single family house to this day. So the first purchase I made was a, uh, mobile home park was well in septic, had a problem well, and I don't recommend that for everybody. I had a little bit more experience from a, um, just a standpoint of, of being involved with some operations with some other guys and stuff like that. So that's how I got started. That was, uh, three, two years ago. Um, from that point, I uh, have bought seven parks. I've sold two, a um, little bit over 300 lots total, um, five or six different states. Um, bought anything from you know that first park that had a problem well, and we fixed it and connected to city water, to anything that you know we've done match lease option to purchases, seller financing, bank deals. So I've kind of done a broad spectrum. And then I also run operations for Buckeye Communities. I'm the director of operations over there, and that happened organically. Um, I'm friends with two of the the guys that run the company there. And then when I was when I moved to Cleveland, they needed some help. Kind of uh, they had bought a number of parks and kind of needed some help to kind of offload some work and operations. And that's really where I cut my teeth. I learned how to run uh, parks pretty professionally. 
And then also I learned a bunch of different systems and how to manage parks um, effectively, right? Because when you just buy one park, it's, it's I don't want to say it's easy, but it's, it's easier than, than running five parks at one time, right? Because it's, um, because you may not have the same systems and processes that you would have if you have a number of parks, because you may still be using Excel, QuickBooks and, and, and some simpler items, because to be quite honest, you can get away with that and you can be quite fine. Um, but when you have multiple parks, you need systems processes and, and, and you have to pay for those a lot of times and they're, they're relatively cheap, but, um, you know, that's kind of quick 10 foot, thousand foot view on me. Um, to this day, right now we have one, two, three parks under contract, one that we're set to close in two weeks, hopefully the first of February. Um, and then two more that'll put me, hopefully we'll, we'll close those. Um, I also wholesale deals from time to time, right? So if I get a lead in, I don't want to buy it. I'll try to wholesale it and make some money that way as well. So that's, that's what we got going on. That's what I got going on and uh, looking to, looking to push over, uh, five to 600 spaces in the next year just to kind of grow. And then my ultimate goal is to replace myself as the operations person and hire that out and replace kind of like a, a COO and, and at least in my company. So. That's great. No, I think you hit on a lot of good points there. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the operations side myself. And I, I tell my team all the time, like we all need to learn operations. It's, it's crucial. And it's frankly, it's something that you can only learn by being in, in the field of experience. Like even attorneys in my legal office, I, like, I took them to five or six of our parks one day. And like, literally all we did, I'm like, I'm paying you to learn operations. So you're going to be a better attorney. You know, I can't teach you law school in a weekend, right? I can't teach you mobile home park in a weekend either, but just having that operational experience getting a feel for it, understanding the math, understanding the zoning, understanding things, it makes everybody more valuable. So that that's that's great that you've been able to do that under a, a, a as you say, a plethora or a breadth of different opportunities like well and septic, things like that. Um, how did that first deal work? So a lot of people uh, call me or just trying to get in their first deal like you did, you know, 75, 76 space. That's a pretty good size first deal. And then with private utilities, that's got some hair on it. How did you structure that from, you know, and I know it's, you've, you had a, a good job so that helps but you didn't have an existing portfolio. So from a, from a loan perspective, was that a seller finance deal or did you, were you able to get a bank loan or and, and or did you bring in partners on your first deal versus tackle the first year by yourself? So it was a multiple of all those things. So it started in July of 2018. We signed an assignment contract from somebody that we knew. Um, there was like three or four of us going after the same park. And we're like, hey, we kind of all know each other already. Let's, uh, how much capital do you have? Um, purchase price on that one was 750 at the time that we had it under contract. So, you know, we were looking to put somewhere between 20 and 30% down because it was going to be a bank deal originally. We, we, so basically I partnered with some people that were looking to get into the space as well, just like me. I emptied my 401k. I had a, I don't know, I had a decent amount in there and I paid the taxes. I, I was 27 at the time. So, I mean, to me, you know, if I'm going to let it sit there and I'm planning on doing this park thing, um, I'd just been, I had, I had already the year prior, I'd been asked to leave my corporate job. So I started another job in Cleveland, moved cities, blah, blah. So anyways, we partnered up. Um, it turned up as a bank deal, but the, the more and more we dug during due diligence and turned up some more red, red flags, it wasn't going to be financeable. So we ended up getting seller financing 20% down, um, over five years. And then we knew that city water was available because we had um, done some due diligence ahead of time. Um, most counties have a GIS, geographical information system, 
that will show where their utilities are. A lot of people don't know this. It's just in the key and you can drop it down. And um, so we knew that the, the line ran out there because behind next to our property, there's McDonald's, KFC, um, there's a grocery store. So there's, there's, you know, those guys aren't operating on a well. Right. Um, they're operating on city water. So we knew the line was there. Just how much would that taxi cost? How much um, was that all going to cost? We actually budgeted for about a hundred grand. So end of story, um, it cost us about 40 grand in all to connect to city water. Um, the tap fee was a lot cheaper and the plumber was a lot cheaper than we estimated. We, the good thing with water is you don't have to repipe your park. You just have to typically run the line from, from the master meter to tie into your park, which can be more expensive in certain areas of the country. Our tap fee was like 25 grand or something like that. So it was relatively inexpensive on a per lot basis for 75 spaces. So that was, that was one of the items why we, why we chose to move forward because we knew there wasn't out. Also, the well, the infractions with the well were not um, finable from the EPA standpoint. It had uh, combined 226 and 228 uh, radium, which is a nuclear substance, um, but it's it's not as bad as what it sounds. It's a it's a natural substance. Um, but basically, long story short, we connected. The well's all good. We're we're on city water now, and we're actually submetering next year probably. And that's one of my that's probably my best deal as far as like. We basically tripled our money. Um, the park's probably worth somewhere, you know, above a million eight, probably if not more. So we'll see. We've also infilled some units and and brought in some new homes, so that's that's helped repave the streets. So that's how we came to that decision. We structured it basically, whatever the total capital raise was. So let's say, for instance, it was two hundred thousand in this instance. Let's say I brought thirty. That's about twelve percent of the deal is what I got. Um, just for instance, in this case, we just did a straight JV structure where all of us brought brought capital and whatever capital you brought equal to the overall capital raise is your percentage. Now we all play different roles. We're all active. One guy does the accounting. One guy does the operations. One guy kind of does some of the, um, you know, financing and leasing and all that stuff. So we all have different roles. Honestly, I don't recommend this for your first deal. Um, there's a lot of people, but we all kind of knew each other from, from one thing or another. And it's worked out. Yeah, I mean, we we get at each other from time to time, but we have weekly meetings, weekly updates, and um, we're always in constant communication. So, I mean, it's, it's worked out, but I don't recommend that for everybody. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely harder. You know, I used to have a, a banker friend that told me the only ship that doesn't sail is a partnership. <clears throat> and uh, and I said, obviously, bankers see a lot of bad deals. So, you obviously have partnerships. Seems like it's working out well. I've had partnerships, and, and I have. A different than joint venture, more of a syndication structure a lot of times too. So that just for our listeners, the, the big distinction there would be, uh, in your case, you and your partners are all putting in money and working actively. In my case, if I'm the syndicator, I'm working actively. I, I may actually, and I probably do put money in on all the deals, but not the mo- not the lion's share of it. Other silent investors, you know, doctors, lawyers, you know, rich people essentially, um, you know, put in the extra cash, and we and they get a preferred return, and we did split split the remaining profitability and a number of hurdles and things like that. So different, different structure, but yeah, both can work. That's, that's good that you got that, got that going. Uh, so you said that's not good for your first deal. What about your, what about your next deal? Are you going to still look for a joint venture with some of the same people or different people, or are you looking for your own project or are you, have you considered the, the more syndic- more syndication style method? So on my next six deals, we're all JV um, with other people, some of the same people from that deal. Um, and then I have, I've had partnerships go bad. I got cashed out of one. I, I sold my shares based on the entity structure that we had. 
Um, I got cashed out because we just weren't seeing eye to eye. There's too many. When I said there's too many people, um, that's why the syndication me method works a little bit because when you're raising money, there's a lot of opinions and you need to have control as the operator. Otherwise, it's just, it can open up chaos and it's just too hard to operate a park when there's five people making one decision for a thousand dollar home, right? Or something, something like that. You need to have one point of contact or two, um, and then make a decision. And so with my next couple of deals, they were all JVs with different people. Uh, they weren't as many. There was typically two or three people. Um, I was still running operations. Um, now in the future, yeah, syndication is probably down the line. Um, I don't rule it out. I just, uh, for the deals that I'm typically doing, um, syndication may not be a fit. Uh, but that is something that I've, uh, definitely, I know about. I just haven't done. So, um, you know, maybe on my next deal will be a syndication. We'll see. Um, but that's definitely an option. And I always have that in the back of my mind doing it because there's positive and negatives to doing both. Um, as you know, other podcast listeners can, if you listen to more episodes deferred, he can explain it better than I can. Um, it just depends on who you are and, and you got to know your partners more than, um, maybe in a syndication method. So. No, that's, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, there's definitely pros and cons to each. I mean, as, if you're the syndicator, there's a, there's a pro of more control, but there's a con of you got a bunch of people who are your boss in some respects, like a board director, you have control, but they're going to be bugging you. You got to do more reporting to them and there's typically more risk. You know, if like in my deals, I sign the note. Um, mm -hmm. If it's a joint venture, you may not, you may get enough people in, you can put down more down payment. You'll have a recourse note or you can divvy it up pro rata, you know, for example, but I pretty much sign hundred percent of the note on every deal. So that's, that's more risk, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, pro, pros and cons for sure. So I know you've got a lot of experience in the field, and I say not just in the field, but operationally in the field or at your desk, kind of running point on the field. What are some of the best lessons learned? Obviously, going through that that water uh, transition from private to public had to be a huge project. But what are some other kind of tips you can give from in, from your operational experience that you know? You, and I, I'm with you 100% when you say systems and processes are needed when you grow. I mean, our first park we had Excel. It's like, man, I'm actually excel. I thought it was a great tool. It's like, yeah, it's not a great tool when you figure out there's rent manager. It's a great tool. Obviously, yeah. Excel's free, rent managers, whatever it is, five hundred dollars, you know, to, to get it rolling. I think mm -hmm. it's $100 a month is what I pay for it. Um, so it's not insignificant um by any means, but it's it's a, it's an amazing feature. That's just one system, but obviously there's processes, you know, procedures, things like that. Um, what what tips can you give us on that front? I'd say uh, figure if you're looking to buy a second park or looking to buy multiple parks, figure out who's running the day to day, right? And it's and it's not a if you buy a turnaround, it's definitely more of a time suck than a stabilized park. So figure out who's running the day to day. Um, figure out what system you want to use from a property management standpoint, right? So we use Rent Manager just like a lot of people do. Um, it's not for everybody. That's a property management software that allows you to uh, accept rent, send out invoices. Also, it is an accounting system. So if you want to use it, you can use it. We do use it. It's not the best. It's a clunky system, but it is better than bouncing from two to three systems, right? So that's one. Second, what's your communication platform, right? Are you going to do text messages? Are you going to use Slack? We use a combination of Slack at some properties, and then we use Basecamp. Uh, for other properties. Basecamp is a project management tool that allows you to track some some uh, allows you to track like delinquencies, um, projects like home renovations, um, when homes are coming in, sales, stuff like that. And there's also a communication platform 
um, and it's relatively inexpensive. I would recommend that for people because it's fairly straightforward. It's not as advanced as like um, some of the other project management tools, like uh, I'm blanking on all of them, Asana, Trello, Monday.com, all that stuff. That's a little bit more higher level. And Basecamp is good for a manager interaction with you because it's fairly simple and straightforward. Got like, it's very like click, you know, click this, like a five-year-old can use it. It's very straightforward is what I'm saying. Um, so choose what you want to, you know, from that, um, figure out what the goal is financially for the park, right? Are you, if you have five vacant spaces, are you going to bring in five vacant, five, five homes, five new homes, five used homes and stick to the plan, right? Plans change, but if you don't have a plan, you don't know where you're going to go. Um, so that's number one is, is find a plan, know your numbers with the park, um, review all of your KPIs, as people say, right? Delinquencies, collections, uh, home sales, you know, when are people paying, all that good stuff. And then also build back as many things as you can as quickly as possible, because, you know, raising rent is great, but you'd be surprised what your utility bills will add up over time. And even though it's just a pass through, it creates a, um, a better, it gives you probably a basis point on the exit or refinance because you're passing through expenses, even though you may raise rent, it looks like you're saving money on paper when you're passing through expenses, right? So people think lower expense ratio when you're passing through water and sewer and trash and whatever else uh, you can possibly pass through. Um, I'm more for that than, than jacking up rent because to the resident, you, you know, if you jack it up $50, it looks like you're jacking up the rent $50 versus just building back trash at 15 and then passing back water and sewer at 30. And it might be the same, but in somebody's head, it might look different on paper. So. Right. I agree completely. So, billing back water sewer to me is, is, is it's not, it's, it's not nearly as easy as raising rent, but it is, it's much more productive in the long run. Um, Cause you, especially from marketing standpoint, I buy a lot of parks that have tons of vacant lots. It's nice to be able to say, I just bought one in Alliance, Nebraska, and there's been Strive Communities as a couple big parks there. So there's a competition. I can say, look, they're $150 more than us. If I, if I build back water sewer, net, maybe they're not as much. Maybe they're not 150 Maybe they're 100 But the next customer, we're $100 below market value, which mm-hmm. also shows that there's a there's a runway to get to the, the next $100, right? Mm-hmm. So that's probably a bad city example because that city direct bill water sewer. So I'm not even in the middle of the water. Yeah, that's that's the ideal, right? Is yeah, exactly. This check this place direct bill water sewer, trash direct bill. City takes care of the streets. City plows the snow. Yeah, I have some. I have some of those parks. It's, it's and, like it's as easy as can be. Uh huh. Uh huh. It, it's it's not as easy as what you and I may like talk about, but in reality, relative relative to working, I got another park we're closing on next week that ugh, there's tons of water leaks. Sewer lines are broken up. The sewer is being spilled into the creek instead of into the sewer system. Um, we need to put in meters. We need to fix water lines. Blah blah blah. You know, it's just ugh. And, and it's under market rent too. So like you can't just push the expense and jack the rent up, right? People can get pitchforks at you. So it's a it's a it's a longer term ter- term uh, turnaround. But compared to that, the uh, the, the city water, sewer, street trash, man, it's a, it's a good deal. Um, yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a good deal. And I've had uh, those scenarios where the park is total trash. And I will, uh, I'm okay with buying a total trash park if it's direct build water, sewer, um, 
and it's county-owned roads or city-owned roads, right? I would rather buy that than that first park that I bought because the the risk associated with turning around a park while also dealing with utilities is a is is a whole nother level of risk, right? And the reward could be greater when you have a well and septic and you got to connect, right? It sure. could be. But is it that much greater with the risk that involved? For most people, the answer is no. Um, but, you know, I was 20 something years old and I didn't really, I mean, it was okay for me to push all my chips in because that's what I had to do. Um, and still to this day, right, I, I still do that a lot, but I can take on the risk because I'm not, I don't have a family. I live relatively cheap. Um, so I can take on that risk profile and the reward is worth it for me because I'm 30 years old and I'm not, you know, retiring next year or living off this income, right? I actually live off of other income than versus my park income. So um, my risk profile is different than some others. They also, I don't think that gets talked about enough, right? Sam Zell is, is great in his book, which I have like right there. Um, and is, am I being too subtle? Talks about the risk profile. And we learned that in business school, right? What's the reward risk ratio? And low risk, high reward is what you want. But sometimes, um, you know, you got to meet somewhere in between to, to get what you want. So that, I think that's, I think that's a great, a great example. I mean, yeah, there's, that's why I mean I, I sometimes still scratch my head as to how some of these REITs and some of these funds are paying the, the multiples that they are. It's like they have a different risk profile, they have a different investment profile, they have a different yield profile, they have a different, different they have a different time horizon profile. Mm -hmm. So yeah, risk is, is probably the most near and dear to us. Um, but they're, all those need to be taken into consideration. And I, I mean, I was listening to disagreement the other day, but I was I was having uh, a debate, if you will, with a, with a limited partner and. Hey, I the limited partner wanted a bigger piece of the pie, saying, Ferg, you're getting a loan. So you're leveraging this property, which puts my cash at a you know junior position with the debt. And, and that means there's more risk. And I and which is true. And I said, This is a two million dollar recourse note to me. I fully understand the risk associated with this. So the what's the risk for me? If this goes south, you lose a hundred grand. If this goes south for me, I lose my house because the banks come after. So I'm, I'm, I'm acutely aware of the risk, but, but as a, in return, I want a higher, I want to hire a reward, right? And that's what mm -hmm. Sam Zell, that's a, that's a great book. And I know you, I can see Frank Ross pitch by you. Frank always talks about yeah. that book. He always <laughs> talks about that book too. And uh, that risk reward relationship. And that's, and that's, that's crucial. And then another thing that I feel like people don't always uh, properly assess is the opportunity cost you know, from economics 101, as you mentioned, the business mm -hmm. is, you know, the, the, the heavy, heavy lift turnaround park is not twice as much time as the stabilized park. It's, it's five times or it's 10. Yeah. And it's not and, for everybody. Yes. Exactly. And, and you, you have to understand your, your, you know, what doesn't get talked about a lot is, uh, is it okay to buy a 10 space park? That's, that's five minutes from my house and I have the cash to buy it myself. Yeah, it is because um, you don't need to buy a hundred space park. If that, if you own ten space park or twenty space park, it's okay to buy small. It's okay to buy, you know, something that doesn't meet everybody else's parameters because your investment criteria are different, like we just talked about, mm -hmm. than REITs, private equity guys that have funds, or you know, even you that are syndicating and me that's JVing. The risk, you know, our our buying criteria could be a little different. They're probably the same or very close and very similar because the money that we want, right? Our objectives are, um, you know, typically my cash on cash is somewhere between 
north of 15% in the 20 first 24 months of a turnaround. Typically it's greater than that, but that's typically what I look for in like a pro forma. Um, so like our buying criteria could be different as well, right? So I don't think that gets talked about enough. And just the reality of operating a park when you have a nine to five job, it can be done, but managing, like you said, a heavy value add where you have, you know, where it's 50% occupied and you have delinquencies that are, you know, three months old on everybody and, and the park needs, needs the well fixed or needs the water line fixed. Like that's a time suck. And if you think you can manage that while having a family and working, you know, a higher paying job, you might be able to, but you're probably going to take two years to do that versus somebody like you or I who has a team or can do it full time. It's going to take us six months to do. So people just have to understand that time horizons and turnarounds are different based on your profile. So, and I, I think, you know, the people that do a good job are, are you people that are realist and, and, and Ryan, uh, Ryan Neris has a podcast. Ryan and Ian are good guys. Uh, Frank and Dave are great. We all learn from them, but you know, they're, they're a different buyer than you and I, right? They got whatever, 200 parks or 300 parks. They're doing it differently than we are and their buying criteria is different. So I think people just need to understand that, you know, that it's okay to buy, you know, a 10 space park if the numbers work and you're okay with it, right? It, it, it just matters what, what you're comfortable with. So, and do your due diligence. But that's the number one thing. So, right, and I think it's a good point. When you talk about like a lot of people, you know, that, and I've got clients that, that in this category that that ten space park makes more sense. It's like I can own all hundred percent of ten for ten spaces, as opposed to it's a hundred space park. Everybody likes loves that, but if I got to go syndicate it, and raise money, and joint venture it, and chop it up, I might get ten percent. Well, it's the same. In some respect, the same difference. Yeah. When you talk about it, you know, buying criteria and investment criteria, the, the thing that I agree with you, the thing that I want to I'm say just want to add to it, to, and you probably agree with this, the, the distinction of a 10-unit park is it might fit for you if it's five minutes away and you got the cash, but you got to always think about your exit strategy. And mm -hmm. there are lots of people who, like, if I wouldn't buy that 10-unit that park from you. I don't live five minutes from you. If it's five minutes from me, maybe. But I, I, probably, I would probably wouldn't buy it if it's five minutes from me at this point. Because there are some fixed costs associated with smaller parks, like say cost the same amount of money for phase one, surveys mm -hmm. almost as much. You still got to get an appraisal. You still got to pay for an LLC. You still got to do bookkeeping. You still got to file a tax return. Fixed costs, fixed costs, fixed costs. If I if I jump jump the rent ten bucks, it's a hundred bucks a month, twelve hundred a year. Yeah, agree. I agree. Your exit is totally limited. I a hundred percent on all that. It's just uh, what I mean is that everybody's buying criteria is different. That's the main point I was trying to get across that, uh, that it's, it's just, everybody is different in a different situation. And, you know, everybody wants a 50 space park, direct build city water, city sewer, and, uh, they want it out of 10 cap, right. In, in a 2 million plus Metro, right. that's what, that's, that's where that comes from, right. That right. it's, uh, those days are gone. Um, to my knowledge, I'm out there every day looking at deals and I haven't seen anything like that in quite some time. So five years ago when I started, yeah, those were there and I just missed it. I was too young, too naive. Right. Um, I missed some opportunities that today I'm like, shit, I should have bought. So. I'm with you. I, re I remember my first couple of deals were like 12 to 15 cap. I remember looking at a deal with like 9.5. I'm like, who's going to pay a 9.5 cap? And now I'm sitting here like, I wonder if I can go buy that for an eight cap right now. And, and yeah, you know, and part of that's because interest rates have changed too. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, the, the industry macro level is more attractive. 
or there's much better exit strategies we were talking about. There's more investors, you know, operations are more streamlined. So it, I didn't completely whiff, but man, it's like if, if I could go back five years from now, I'd be retired by now. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of, yeah, me too. It's just like <laughs> you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So we gotta we gotta you know get up tomorrow and do it again. But that's part of the grind, part of, part of the fun, chasing deals, man. Um, this is great, Ryan. What else? I don't want to cut you off. But what other, what other tips or tactics do you want to share with our group? If, if any that we haven't covered so far. Um, I mean, honestly, we covered a lot. Um, I would say if you're looking to buy your first park or you're looking to grow into more parks, um, if you haven't modeled yourself after somebody or you haven't, uh, if you're not networking or speaking with other owners on a daily basis or at least a once a week, um, I would start doing that because deals are not how they used to be. Can't just send 10 mailers and get five responses. The game has changed. You have Wall Street money in this in this space now, and Wall Street money does not sleep. And uh, chasing deals has gotten a lot tougher, but there's a lot more capital in the space, which is great. So the last tip that I would probably say is is um, if you're looking, just understand what you need in your life and and what you want from an investment from a park, and go try and find that. So if that's if you work at nine to five and you make $300,000 a year and you don't want to be active, invest your money with FERD, right? You're probably going to get a, I don't know what your prep is, but I would imagine it's probably north of 6%. So better than what you're going to earn in, earn in a bank. I don't know. Um, or if you're looking to be active, but you don't necessarily have the operational experience, partner with guys like me, right? That are, that are, will take, um, and FERD will do the same. But, um, you know, you are going to have to be active. You know, it's, there's no prep return or anything. So it's a little bit different of a structure. And you may honestly have to sign on the debt, right? I don't mind signing on debt, but that structure does not uh, go for that. So understand what you need uh, and what you can do. If you're 25 and you got no money, you can go spend the next three years living in a trailer park. And you'll know more than probably 80% of the industry. Um, and you'll you'll the guys with money will look at you and be like, yeah, that kid gets it. He's okay to go all in. And here's, here's some money, right? Um, that's, that's, I mean, that's what a lot of guys have to do. Um, not advocating for that. You don't have to live in a trailer park to be cool, even though that seems what everybody's doing nowadays. Um, but you know, there's lots of ways to get into the industry, find out what works for you, find what you're looking for and just basically go after it. Don't be afraid to, you know, buy a deal. Great tips, Ryan. I appreciate it. Hey, where can people find you? Uh, how can they find you online or reach out to you? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all under my name. Um, I do have a website, themobilehomeparkinvestor.com. It's not fancy. Um, it's just if you click contact me, it'll it'll send me some an email. My email, if you want to put it in the show notes, is ryan.groney, G-R-O-E-N-E, 55 at gmail.com. And I do put it out there from time to time. Um, if you want to text me or call me, my number is 513-276-3834. I might regret that, but 99.9%, I'd never get anything from it. So <laughs> thanks for, for having me on the show. I appreciate it. You and all it. the guests, uh, don't be afraid to reach out to either of us and good luck. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. 
Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.